I mentioned yesterday was a huge day in college football, and uh, obviously if you're a football fan, you didn't need to be told that, but for the rest of you, I need to explain some things. Um, yesterday was uh, the matchup, the collegiate matchups of the year, so to speak. Every one of the major rivalries played yesterday, Ohio State, Michigan, Washington, Washington State, um, uh, Florida, Florida State, Alabama, Auburn, and then here locally, USC played UCLA. And uh, I, was, I was given this, and, and I'm not so sh sure how true this is, but it may be a true story, and it was a story about a, a star player at USC who was struggling with his uh, grades, and so what they did was the coach thought, well, we better find a, um, a tutor for him. So they searched high and low all throughout the United States and found the perfect tutor that they thought would be the right tutor for this particular athlete. And he spent what seemed like endless hours, night and day, with this particular student, this particular student athlete. And there was a huge test that was coming, which would determine whether he'd be eligible to play or not in the upcoming season. And so the president of the USC Alumni Association heard about it and decided that, you know, we couldn't let this uh, young star athlete student be alone during this big test. And so he decided that he wanted to be with them when he took this test. And uh, sure enough, as word got out through the Alumni Association, one after another volunteered to be there with him, to support him, to encourage him, to be there for him, and just show him that they cared about him. And uh, soon enough, there were enough people that wanted to come to support this young man that they filled the Coliseum. And uh, believe it or not, the day of the big test comes, and they've got a huge crowd at the Coliseum all there to support this young man. Sitting down in the middle of the field is the, uh, is the coach and the tutor and the, and the uh, testing board. And the first test that they asked this young man, they said, okay, what's nine times nine? And the young man thought, a big smile broke on his face, said, 81! Silence. Silence throughout the whole Coliseum. A second, two, three seconds passes. Finally, the president of the Alumni Association says, Oh, come on, give the kid a break. Give him an easier question. <laughs> See, nine times nine is 81. And uh, just thought we'd let you know. You know, sometimes we think we know the answer and we don't. And even the so-called experts think they know the answer, and they don't. And what's worse is, a lot of times, they also promote the wrong answer and do it with much confidence, which is kind of fascinating. And so what we're going to discuss today has to do with people that are out there telling us answers that they confidently boast about, but are wrong in what they say. It was a cold, wintry morning in Mount Lebanon, Pennsylvania, and at the time I was a grade school student attending a Catholic school, and uh, as was our daily routine, we would go to church in the morning before classes, and then we would march out of the back of the church single file across the street in the parking lot to where the school building was. And it was a cold day, and it had been snowing, and it was icy, and the sidewalks were icy, and, and uh, as we were walking single file toward the back of the line, there was a commotion, and there was a noise, and then there was a shout and a scream. And as we turned around, we saw the end of what had just taken place, there was a third grade student whose name was Richard Dominic, and as he was walking down the sidewalk, single file with his classmates in front and back, he slipped on a piece of ice and he stumbled over where the snow had been piled along the curb, and just as he stumbled and fell, there was a passing school bus and he fell underneath the rear, rear wheels of a snow-chained school bus and was crushed to death. Panic, as you can imagine, ensued, and what was even more incredible to me about the, the, the traumatic event that had just taken place was that I was going at a time to a religious institution that as they were running around, you know, mass was said and prayers were, were said and, and, and uh, candles were lit 
and there was all kind of things that were taking place, but there was one thing that did not take place as I look back on it, and it continued to bother me throughout my life, and that there was no assurance or confidence of what just happened to this young man. This young child, this boy who had just died, there was not anyone there who could say with confidence and assurance where he was at that particular point after his death. Well, maybe he was in purgatory, or maybe we need to say prayers for him, maybe we need to light candles for him, maybe I don't know, we don't know, we can't really say with any confidence and assurance of where this young man is. You know, and as I thought about that through my life, the question that was raised at that point is, what happens to people after they die? What can we expect? What can we look forward to? A few years later, I thought of that question again as my great-grandmother had passed away. And as we were sitting with family in the funeral home in in the viewing room, and uh, all of us were sitting around, and you look at the loss and the sense of hopelessness that was there, the same sense of hopelessness that I recall having seen and heard about this young boy who had just been killed, the same sense of hopelessness was was enveloping this room as we sat and we watched as as she laid in, in the casket in the front of the room. And as we were sitting there and I was watching all of her family, including myself, and there was tears and people mourning and wailing, and as they went to close the casket to take it out to the hearse, one of her daughters, my great aunt, draped herself across the top of the casket and screamed and wailed, Mom, don't leave us. And again, that sense of hopelessness was there. What can you expect after death? As a high school student playing football, two of my my, uh, high school teammates I was a sophomore at the time, and they were seniors, and they were out drinking one night. And uh, they had a bench seat, which was three across the front. There weren't any bucket seats, and at the time, there weren't really anything as far as laws about seatbelts and things like that. But they were all drinking, and they were drunk, and they were driving around a turn. They were going way too fast. And uh, the uh, door popped open on the passenger side. And two of my teammates sitting in the middle and the passenger side fell out as the car ran around a curve, and they were killed instantly. A few years after that, another one of my teammates, as he was coming home to be with his wife and small child, was killed head-on in an automobile accident. And the question again comes up is, what can you expect after death? What hope do we have? What, what, What assurance do we have? What confidence can we have as far as what lies ahead? A few years ago, I was asked to speak at the funeral of the Los Angeles Rams football player who had been killed as he apparently fell asleep driving up Highway 395 heading toward Mammoth. He fell asleep, and as he awoke, just as his car was going off the side of the road, he tried to compensate for it. He went in the sand, and his Jeep rolled over several times, and he was thrown through the windshield, and he was killed. And I was asked to speak at that funeral. And just before I was to come up to speak, a teammate, a close friend of his, stood up, and I'm sure that he uttered words that he thought would be of some sort of comfort to those who were there that day. But he said this, wherever Carl is, wherever he is, he's probably hunting or fishing, listening to country western music, and drinking a beer. And I sat there and I thought, how sad and tragic it is that we live in a world that has no hope, that has no confidence, and that has no assurance in what happens to people after they die. And all of us at one time or another have or will be touched by that cold, clammy hand of death. I'm sure many of you, even to this day, if you're asked the question, where were you when John Fitzgerald Kennedy was assassinated, you know where you were and you know what was going on. Because death makes an impression and an impact on every one of us. What can we look forward to after death? 
Are there any answers? Or is it just a guessing game? Is it really hopeless? You know, the pagan world in the days of the Apostle Paul had no hope of life after death. And in fact, the typical inscription found on a grave at that particular time in history was this. I was not, I became. I am not, I care not. While some of the philosophers such as Socrates sought to prove happiness beyond death, the pagan world had no assurance and had no hope of what lie beyond the grave. And all of this leads us back to the letter, the first letter the Apostle Paul wrote to a group of young believers who had put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And Paul had told them in their time together that Jesus would return to this earth. But if you recall, as we've gone through this particular series, you know that Paul had taught them. He had to leave because he was chased out of town. He went to a place called Berea. He then went from Berea to Athens and ultimately from Athens to Corinth. And during that period of time that had taken place, what happened back in Thessalonica were that, you know, life went on as usual and life means that people died as well. And so people had died at this church that he had established in Thessalonica, the period of time that had gone by, and so as he sent Timothy back to find out what was going on, they had a lot of questions that they had to ask. And it raised several questions. And that was this. Hey, you know what? I mean, Paul, since you left, Jesus hasn't come back. And while you were gone, several of us have died. And we've got some questions we need answered. And that is what happened to these people that died because Jesus hasn't come back yet. They've died before his coming. Are they going to be at some disadvantage when Jesus does come back? We're really con confused about this whole idea of death and what happens after we die. And we need to know. What can we look forward to after we die? Because we may die before Jesus comes too. And we need to know what's going on. And so they wanted to know, hey, what happened to those who had already died before Jesus came? They were thinking selfishly, I'm sure, what if I die before Jesus comes? What happens to me? What can I look forward to? And then the other question I have is, if Jesus comes back and I'm still alive, what's going to happen then? What can we expect? And those are all the questions that were asked that led to this response. If you've got your Bible, turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 as we look at verses 13 through 18 that will give us the answers to those questions. And in this particular section, we're going to discover that, you know what, there's really comfort that will be found at the coming of Jesus Christ or the comfort of his coming. You know what, and, and I would just challenge you or I would beg you that if you are not sure and you have no confidence, you have no assurance that what will happen to you after you die, then I would ask you to listen very carefully because God wants you to know. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting with verse 13, we read these words. It says, but we don't want you to be uninformed. We don't want you to be ignorant. We don't want you not to know, brethren, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Christ. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel, or with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds 
to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. In this section, we learn of five fundamental facts that Paul will share with us to answer those questions about what happens or what we can expect after death. These words will be both an encouragement and a comfort. They'll give us insight and they will tell us the truth as to what to expect beyond our own death. Now, what's interesting as we go through it, the first one or the first fact is this. We have a revelation because we have God's truth. Notice what he says in verse 13. He says, Brother, brothers, we don't want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep. We don't want you to be ignorant. We don't want you to be uninformed, is what he's saying. How can any of us know beyond a shadow of a doubt what awaits us after death? You know, how can we find peace and assurance for our own hearts when it comes to facing death? That is a very valid question. Now, I don't know about you, but I want a little bit more than wherever he is, I think he's hunting and fishing, listening to country western, and having a beer. I want a little more than that. Now, I know some of you may think, that's not bad. <laughs> now, some of you also may be sitting here going, that is my vision of hell. <laughs> so we need to know. I want a little more than that. You know, think about it. Throughout human history, mankind has been fascinated, fascinating, fascinated to try to solve this whole idea, the mystery of death and what's after. Philosophers wrestled with the question of immortality. Uh, uh, you know, if you think about spiritists, they try to contact or communicate with the dead. Scientists have investigated um, the experience of people who have claimed to have died and have returned to life. And I'm, I'm channel surfing. Oh, and I just want to let you know, by the way, if channel surfing ever becomes a, a, an Olympic sport, nominate me for team captain. I mean, so I'm channel surfing. I'm surfing, you know, which means watching TV with a channel changer in your hand. Don't want to take anything for granted here. So I'm channel surfing, and I come across this station that happens to have this talk show on, and the talk show theme of that particular day was uh, these near-death experiences. And so they have a psychic who's on there who is going to tell people what they actually experience, and then they would, she would answer questions from the audience. And one tragic story after another of a loved one who had cancer and died, of a loved one who was in an accident and died, of a loved one who drowned, a loved one of this and that. And, and this lady, this psychic, was going to answer their questions. And here's some of the responses that she gave. Oh, don't worry about him, honey. He's okay. He's in a good place. Oh, don't worry about her. You know, she was good, and she's in a good place. Oh, oh, in fact, he's with us right now. You can see him? Oh, I can see him. He's sitting right next to you. He's holding your hand. He's right there. The lady who had the near-death experience was angry when her near-death experience ended. It was such a wonderful thing. And with great confidence and great assurance, she tries to tell people, don't worry about it, everything's going to be okay. And the classic one of all is this, well, at least he or she isn't suffering anymore. Really? You can say that with great confidence and assurance? 
you know, I, who, who can we believe? And what should we believe? Fortunately for us, that mystery has been solved. Because we have a revelation that comes from God himself. We have the truth of God's word. And what Paul says with great authority is this. As for the dead, I don't want you to be ignorant like that ignorant lady on TV try to comfort people about what happens after you're dead. As for the dead, I don't want you to be uninformed like that lady who was there selling her own books and promoting herself and charging a fee to tell people what they want to hear that isn't truth at all. I don't want you to be ignorant and sucked in by all the nonsense that's going on in the philosophies of men. I'm here to tell you from God himself what God wants you to know about what happens to people after they die. Fortunately for us, we've got the truth and the truth will set us free from all of this nonsense in the world that we live in. We have a revelation from God. Look in verse 15. He says this. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord. By the authority of God himself we say to you what will happen after you die. It's the word of God himself. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Why substitute human speculation when we've been told the truth by God through his word? Why not just take the word of God as the truth that it is, and let us get set free from all this nonsense around us. As for the dead, my brother and sister, I don't want you to be uninformed because we got truth from the Word of God. Now, it's, we need to understand, too, that God had given progressively, He has revealed to us this whole idea about death and what to expect afterwards. If you read through the Old Testament, you would read and think that, you know what, after death there is no life. And there are several cults and people out there that would quote from the book of Ecclesiastes and other places that after you die there is no more. Just like this here, right? you know, what we just talked about. I am not, I care not. Well, you know, but unfortunately that isn't all that God had to reveal about the subject. Or fortunately it's not. And he continued to reveal throughout time what he wanted to know, wanted us to know about death. And it was culminated in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And in fact, in 2 Timothy 1.10, we read this, who abolished death, speaking of Christ, and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15, we see what God wants us to know about what to expect after death. We read these words in the first verse. Now I make known to you, brethren... I want you to know the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received and which you also stand, by which you also are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered you of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, according to the written word of God that he did as he said he was going to do. This whole chapter deals with it, but flip with me to chapter uh, to the same chapter, verse 51. He continues on when he says this, Behold, I tell you a mystery. I tell you what before was a mystery to man, it is no longer a mystery to us or to them or anyone else from that time on, and that's this. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable and this mortal must put on immortality. 
But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable and this mortal will have put on immortality, then we will come about the saying that it is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Jesus himself, if you'll turn with me back to the Gospel of John, in John chapter 5, Jesus himself addressed this issue several times in his own life and his own ministry when he, when he read, uh, said these words that are written in chapter 5 of the Gospel of John. Look at verse 24. It says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. And this does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear shall live. For just as the Father has life in himself, even so he gave to the Son also to have life in himself. And he gave him authority to execute judgment, because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in their tombs shall hear his voice and shall come forth those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life, those who committed evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. Turn with me to John chapter 11 as he continues the same thought. Jesus wanting us to know what happens after death. We read this in verse 21 through 27. Speaking of the death of his friend Lazarus, he says this, Martha therefore said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, Your brother shall rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. And he who believes in me shall live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Martha, do you believe this? And she said to him, Yes, Lord, I have believed. I've already believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. Jesus said, hey, if you believe in me, turn forward to John chapter 14. He says the same thing again. As he told his disciples that he would be leaving, that he would be put to death, that they would kill him. They were troubled by death. They weren't sure what happens when a person dies. They weren't sure what to believe. They had no hope. They lived in a culture that said there was no life after death. They didn't know what it was all about. And he said this, Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe in me. He says, In my Father's house are many dwelling places. And if it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. He says, And if I go and prepare a place, I'll come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may also be. And you know the way where I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How do we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes unto the Father but through me. You see what Jesus said? He said, you know what? I'm going to die, but that's okay. Because I'm going to die, and while I'm gone, I'm preparing a place for you. Not only after I leave, I'll send a helper for you. But as I go and prepare a place for you, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I wasn't going to prepare a place for you, I wouldn't tell you that. What he's saying is I wouldn't lie to you. And as I go and prepare a place, one day I'm coming back for you. And you will be with me forever and ever. Amen. Don't you understand? And Thomas said, I don't know. He said, well, let me make it clear. I am the way to heaven. I'm the only way to God the Father. I'm the only way that you'll get into heaven. You don't need to say masses. You don't need to have prayer cards. You don't need to light candles. You don't need to do anything because I did whatever it took to get you there. 
He endured the pain. He despised the shame for the joy that was set before him that he would conquer death for all of eternity. He came out of the grave after three days. I want to talk to someone who has been there. I want to hear what he has to say, what there is to be expected after death. I don't want to hear about somebody that laid on an operating table for 20 minutes and they came back to life and tell me what was going on. Tell me after you've been dead in the ground for three days and then I'll listen to you. That event has never been duplicated in human history. Jesus died. He was buried. They knew he was dead because the soldiers didn't even break his legs to get him off the cross as they did with any other criminal when they weren't sure if they were dead yet. They didn't break his legs because he was dead. And they buried him in the ground. And three days later, he rose from the dead and he conquered death and he came back to tell us what we can expect. We've got the truth. Thomas doubted it. He didn't even know the way, and Jesus said, I am the way. And then after he came back from the dead, Thomas doubted him again. When his disciples said, we were with the Lord, he's come back just as he said, he's conquered death. And he said, I don't believe it until I touch him with my hands. Jesus appears before Thomas, and he says to him, hey, I heard you don't believe. He heard because he's God. He heard all things. He knew Thomas didn't believe. Hey, I heard you didn't believe. I heard you want to touch me to see if this is real or not. Go ahead and touch me. And Thomas dove before him on his face and said, My Lord and my God. End of issue. Thomas, the root problem of Thomas was not that he doubted the resurrection. The root Thomas is the same, the root problem of Thomas is the same problem that the world has had since and will continue to have and that is this the root problem of Thomas was he did not believe the word of God you remember when Jesus talked about a man who had died and was in Sheol or in the holding tank waiting for the for the resurrection of the judgment and the man said to him Lord let me come back from the dead so I can warn my family that this is real what did Jesus say they won't believe you They'll come up with an excuse or a reason or scientific reason that you weren't really dead, you weren't really there. They won't believe you. And you know why they won't believe you? Because they had Moses and the prophets and the Word of God and they didn't believe God when He said what to expect. Why would they believe you? Jesus comes back from the dead and He says, I am revealing to you what to expect after death. You will either believe My Word or you will not. We have the revelation of God. God has revealed to us what to expect beyond death. Jesus has been there and done it and conquered it and has come back to tell us what we can expect. Men and women, we need to understand something. Who are you going to believe? Some psychic who's promoting a book, who's charging you a fee, some talk show host who is promoting nothing but nonsense as they all do for the most part. Who are you going to believe? I don't know about you, but I'm going to believe the Word of God. I'm going to believe the words of Jesus Christ Himself, who has been to heaven, has come to earth, had died, was buried, rose from the dead, and has ascended back to heaven. I want Him to give me directions on how to get to heaven since He's been there and back and went again. I don't know about you, but I don't want any directions from somebody who hasn't been somewhere that I need to get. That's a scary thought. I had never been there, but I heard, I think this is how you get there. I don't know about you, but I want to talk to someone who's been there and can tell me clearly how to get there. 
we have the Word of God. You know what Jesus said? He said he prayed for his disciples. He said, Lord, sanctify them in truth. Set them apart in your truth because, God, your word is truth and the truth will set you free. The second thing that we have is the return of Christ, that Christ is coming again. Notice what he says. He says, we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have died or fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. What he's saying is that, hey, Jesus Christ is coming back again. And as we go through this and look at it, there's comfort in that knowledge. In John chapter 11, Jesus, speaking of Lazarus, said to him, hey, you know what, he's asleep. And they said, no, he's not sleeping, he's been dead. He said, well, Jesus said, hey, I want you to understand something here. He's asleep in that his body is asleep, but I know that he's alive because the spirit never dies. We need to recognize and understand what he's, what's being said here and to go through it. The Bible's definition of death is simply this. For as the body without the spirit is dead. We need to recognize and understand something. When we die, our spirit continues to live. The body is dead, and the euphemism that's used often is that the body is asleep. If you go into a funeral home and you see a body in a casket and you hear people say this all the time, look how peaceful the body looks. But they don't say the body. They always say, look how peaceful he or she looks. Oh, they look like they're sleeping. And we've all said it. It looks like at any minute you can just touch them and say, wake up. But they're not going to wake up. Why? Because they're not there. That's just a body. It's a tent, the Bible says. It's a way that God has given us so we can identify and see each other for this period of time while we're here on earth. All that we are here for on earth is to make a decision of where we will spend eternity. If you get down to it in the final analysis, our whole purpose in being here on earth is to make a decision whether we're going to believe in Jesus Christ or not with him or separated from him forever and ever. That's the whole reason we're here. And after we've come to that decision, the whole reason God leaves us here is so we can help other people come to the same decision or conclusion that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. Now, as you're looking at this body asleep, so to speak, we need to understand that when the Spirit, when you die or I die, if you've believed in Jesus Christ, the Bible says, absent from this body, and what? Present with the Lord. That we are still alive, our spirit is still alive, we're still aware of what's going on, we're in the presence of God, even though the body itself will then be thrown into the ground, or done whatever we want to do with it. And as we look at this, the Bible says that Jesus is coming again. And it's important that we recognize and understand it. You know, I remember once telling someone, and it was a stupid thing, but I said, you know, I'm really sorry that you lost your wife. And then I got a quick dose of theology. And the guy says... <laughs> Well, you can't lose something if you know where it is. Good, I'll use that someday. <laughs> and he explained it. Hey, I didn't lose my wife because I know where she is. She's believed in Jesus Christ. And as a result, I believe what the word of God says. And God says this, absent from the body, she is not here. That's just her hard head. It's... Just the way she left it. <laughs> but, all right, and change it if you didn't like that. Okay, I was talking to this guy's wife, and I said, I'm sorry you lost your husband. <laughs> all right, so there you go. We balance it out. Anyway, but the point is, is that, you know what? Hey, absent from the body, present with the Lord. Notice what he says. We believe 
we who believe that Jesus died and rose again, so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, now he's addressing that question, well, what if I don't die before Jesus comes back? He says, hey, well then, if you're alive, then guess what? We who are still alive are left till the coming of the Lord will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. Which now he addresses the issue of what happened to all of those who died before Jesus came. And here's what he had to say. We've got the truth of resurrection. According to the Lord's own words, we tell you that we who are alive are, are left till the coming of the Lord will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God. And look, it says, and the dead in Christ will rise first. He's talking about resurrection. Remember when he asked Martha, he says, well, don't you believe in the resurrection? And she said, I do believe in the resurrection. I do believe that we will be raised from the dead. When Paul preached the doctrine of the resurrection to philosophers in Greece, most of them mocked him. In Acts chapter 17, they said, hey, you know what? Why would anybody want to have their body back again? To the Greek, hey, to be rid of these bodies was a great, it was a freeing experience. That to them, they looked forward to death because we wouldn't be held back by these bodies that were corrupt and were always messed up. He said, I don't want our body, we don't want our bodies back. But Jesus preached the resurrection of the body and taught that one day that our bodies would be resurrected. And he went on to tell them and said, hey, you know what? They were questioning, well, what about those who've died in an accident? We don't have the body. What about those who are lost at sea? We don't have the body. What about those who are cremated? We don't have the body. What about those, you know, and we all talk about it, that were destroyed in some kind of an accident. What about Christians who were eaten by lions? We don't have a body. What, how's God going to do all that? It's a mess. But see, he wasn't talking about resurrecting that same body. He wasn't talking about reconstruction of that body. He was talking about resurrection of the body. And in 1 Corinthians 15, he used the illustration of when you plant a seed into the ground, the seed no longer exists, but the life comes out of the seed. It's a process that takes place. And so what he's saying is, hey, guess what? Here's what happens. When you die, absent from the body, present with the Lord, whether they cremate your body, they bury your body, the body decays, the body's eaten by a shark. I don't care what happens to the body. It doesn't really make much difference because God will resurrect a new body. It'll be a glorious body. It won't be the same crummy one that we had. That's not what he's doing. He's going to resurrect a new body, the corruptible for the incorruptible, the perishable for the imperishable, the mortal for the the immortal body. It's not the same thing. We need to recognize and understand that resurrection will take place and that the Christian dead will rise. And he's saying that those who have died in Christ. Now understand something. This is really important. Check over there quickly, then look back over here. Who? All righty. So now we know who you are. The things you got to do around here to be recognized. Hey, uh, anyway, where am I? Oh, the term in Christ is critical for our understanding of what's going on. Listen to me. What's being told now, being taught now, are for those in Christ. You understand that? If any man is a new, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. All things are gone. All things become new. The Bible says not, there is no condemnation now for those who are in Christ. The term that's used in Christ is a specific term that was used and can only be used of those who knew Jesus Christ from that day forward, who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. As, as we are branches in the true vine in John chapter 15, we're grafted into the body of Christ. We become one in Christ as we believe in Him. 
We believe that He died for our sins. We believe that He, he went to His death, that He was spent three days in the tomb. We believe three days later that He rose from the dead. That is the, simpli- the simplicity of the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The message is this. As He told Martha, if you believe in Me, you'll never die even though your body dies. If you believe in me, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man gets to the Father but through me. If you believe in me, this truth is for you and for you only. This is not a truth that we can throw out to every person on the face of the earth. This is a truth that are only for those who are in Christ. We need to recognize and understand it. The dead in Christ will rise first. Number four, he's talking about rapture or being caught up. We need to understand what he's talking about here because the word actually rapture is never found anywhere in the Bible, but the words uh, that are used here uh, after that in verse 17, after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up. The term is raptured. We'll be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. I heard a Greek scholar talking about the words that are used for this word caught up or rapture. And the definition of them I want you to listen to very carefully. The first word, the first definition means to catch up speedily. In Acts chapter 8, the, uh, Philip was with an Ethiopian eunuch. And the Bible says, and he was caught up by the Spirit. He went from one place to another instantaneously. The word here is used of the same word that we who are alive when Jesus returns will be caught up instantly with him. And that the dead in Christ will precede us. They'll be with Him. And we will be caught up instantly with Him. The second definition is fascinating to me because it means to seize by force. And it's a fascinating understanding that there are going to be God's people here on earth who have become so attached to the world as Lot became attached to this this earth. When God says, I want you to leave this area of Sodom and Gomorrah. And Lot said, "But, but, but isn't there some way I can just stay here too and still do your will? And God says, I want you to leave and leave now. He had become so in love with the world around him that God had to pry him away by force and drag him away to save him from the ultimate climax that would occur in those cities. The word that's used here also, that there are going to be those of us who are so in love with this world, we love our business, we love making money, we love what's going on down here, that even when Jesus returns, it's almost like he has to pry us from this earth to take us with him. You would think that it was the great blessed hope of His coming. Every Christian should be looked forward to the day where they can be with the Lord forever. There's a progression that takes place. First, we look for His appearing, but then we love His appearing. We can't wait. Some of us are so in love with this world that even when Jesus comes, it's almost like He has to rip us away and take us by force because we put our trust in Him. We're a child of His. But as any one of us knows, sometimes our children don't do the things that they should be doing. And we have to drag them away from the things that are holding them back. That's the same word that's used. To claim for one's own self. What a beautiful story of a a bridegroom who comes to take his bride. You're mine and I'm taking you with me. To move to a new place is another definition. Jesus said it. I go to prepare a place for you. And since I'm going to go prepare a place for you, I'm going to come back and I'm going to take you to the place I prepared. I've got it all ready for you. To take back to another place. And the last thing is to rescue from from danger. And this is one of the strongest arguments that's found in the Bible that God's people will never go through the great tribulation that will take place on this earth. To rescue us from danger. And in fact, in 1 Thessalonians 1.10 and 5.9, it indicates clearly that God's people will not go through the great tribulation because Jesus himself will come and rescue us from the great danger that lies ahead. It's a wonderful truth. The day that that happens, folks, it's going to be an incredible day. 
If you stop and think about it, all of us who have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the day that Jesus comes, that those who have died before us will be coming with him, those of us who are still alive will be taken in a twinkling of an eye, and we will be before him, we will be with him forever, and the world around us that will have millions of people, literally, that disappear from the face of this earth. But it's going to happen so fast that there'll be no signs of the coming. You know, we talk about looking for the signs of his coming. Hey, you know what? There are no signs of his coming because it happens in the twinkling of an eye. You need to understand that the resurrection he's talking about is not the resurrection that will take place after the tribulation and after the thousand year millennium or the reign of Christ here on earth. It's, a, it, it's the rapture of the church. The quickening of the church. It'll happen in a twinkling of an eye. And all the people in the world will try to understand. And they'll misunderstand. And they'll misread it. And they'll try to figure out. And they'll try to write it off. And they'll try to explain it away. And the only people that will know what had happened to all these people are the scholarly type who sit there and they look for things like this and say, well, you know what? There are a whole bunch of people throughout human history who called themselves Christians, who believed in Jesus Christ, that said one day Jesus would come and take them and that they would disappear from this earth. And you know what? They're all gone. Maybe there's some truth to that. Personally, what I believe is it'll be explained away extraterrestrial, some type of activity, some type of phenomenon. There'll be a scientific explanation for all of it because if there isn't a scientific explanation, then men and women will have to give their life to Jesus Christ. And you know what? They'd have to believe his word. And we're pretty stubborn people. We don't believe anything God has to say. We're like Thomas. Prove it. If you're really God, prove it. But here's what Jesus said, just so you understand and know. Jesus said this, the greatest sign that I'll ever give to man is the sign of Jonah. And that is after three days, God took him from the belly of a whale. After three days, God took Jesus Christ from death and rose him from the dead. I don't know about you, but there's nothing I can think of that can top that for a visual aid in helping us understand that what God says is true about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, these people saw all the evidence. They saw blind people that could see. They saw lame people that could walk. They saw dead people coming back from the grave. They saw Lazarus come out of the grave. And you know what the Bible tells us in the book of John? That it was at that moment that the scribes and Pharisees decided they would kill Jesus because of what he did. Because he did what? He raised from someone from the dead? Oh, no, because he claimed to be God. That was the charge. That's why he died. And he was innocent of the charge because he is who he claimed to be. The last one is this. And the most incredible one of all, from a comfort standpoint, is, you know what? We're talking reunion, folks. We're talking reunion. 1 Thessalonians 4, 17 through 18, And after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord forever, and so we will be with the Lord forever. You see what he's saying? Hey, it's reunion time. And he says this, Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Wow, isn't that great? Encourage each other with these words. And that is this. If you have a friend, a family member, someone that you love very much, that died in Christ, the Bible says that person's not lost because we know where he or she is. But that person will come with Jesus himself. And we who are alive at that day will be reunited and have a great reunion that will last for an eternity. That we will be with him, speaking of the Lord, and those, of, those who have accepted Jesus Christ forever. It's going to be a tremendous reunion. You know what's an amazing thing is when, when Jesus raised the dead here on earth, he had the wonderful, wonderful ministry 
of being able to restore a broken relationship that occurred because of death. When he raised Jairus' daughter, he was able to take that little girl and give that little girl back to her father who had lost her to death. When he raised the widow's son, he was able to take that boy who had, who had been lost to death and give, her, give him back to his mother who mourned at his loss. When he raised Lazarus from the dead and said, Lazarus, come forth! And he came out of the grave. He was able to give that brother back to his sisters. You see, Jesus Christ will be able to reconcile every one of us who are lost temporarily because of this event that we call death. What a wonderful day that's going to be. And he says to comfort each other with those words. And in closing, I want you to stop and think about something. I once saw an an inscription on a gravestone when we were in Europe that said this. Pause, my friend, as you walk by, as you are now, so once was I. As I am now, so you will be. Prepare my friend to follow me. I heard that someone came along a little later and wrote this. To follow you is not my intent until I know which way you went. (laughs) As Christians, we have wonderful assurance and hope. We have confidence. And the reason that we have confidence that we will live even after we die is that we have the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ to attest to the fact that God has indeed conquered death. If you are not comforted or encouraged by anything that has been spoken, then you need to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And you need to do it today. Because the Bible says it's only those who are in Christ who are not condemned before God. That the world has been condemned already. That when you die, if you reject or refuse to put your faith and trust in Christ, when you die, the Bible says you will be judged for your sin, that you will be separated, God, from eternity in a place that God prepared for the devil and his demons, a place called hell, ultimately called the lake of fire. You will suffer. You will mourn. You will weep. You will wail. You will be separated from God for eternity. There is no partying in hell, as I hear people say, well, at least I'll be with my friends. There will be no friends in hell. There will be no love in hell. There will be no relationships in hell. There's no love in hell because God is not in hell. Because God is love. And where God is, love is. There will be none of that in hell. That's where you're going if you don't receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life. You can doubt the Word of God all you want. But that doubting of the word of God will be what God uses to to accuse you and condemn you for all of eternity. You can doubt the resurrection and the validity of Jesus Christ raising from the dead. But he came back and he demonstrated that he did after three days. And he appeared to the disciples. He appeared before 500 other people. He appeared before a world that's been changed upside down ever since. Jesus Christ is alive. And he's seated at the right hand of God the Father. And one day he will come to judge the living and the dead. You have a choice of where you will spend eternity. You can spend it in the presence of God by believing in Jesus Christ, or you'll spend it in the presence of a place called hell where you will suffer for eternity. You say, what kind of God would send someone there? Well, you know what? I look at it this way. A God who will warn you of the truth that that place exists and says to you that you have a choice, either believe in Jesus Christ or suffer for eternity separated from God. The question I have for you is this. As you turn to Romans chapter 10, ask yourself this question. Acts Romans chapter 10, and we'll close on this. 
you must ask yourself the question, what must I do to be saved from that type of judgment? What must I do so that I don't have to go to hell? What must I do so that I can have hope and assurance that when I die, that what you're saying will be true of me, that absent from my body, I'll be present with the Lord. What do I have to do? And it's very simple. In Romans 10, we read this. It said, if you confess with your mouth, in verse 9, that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in Jesus Christ will not be disappointed. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call upon him. For whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. How then shall they call upon him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher being sent to them? And how shall they preach unless they're sent, just as it, as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring glad tidings of good things. However, they did not all heed the glad tidings. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? And he says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of God. Men and women, I've got to ask you the question. Which way do you want to go? Which way do you want to go? Because God gives you a choice. Whoever calls upon him will not be disappointed. If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. God, I, God, God knows and he understands how, how troubling it is to experience death. And dear God, I just pray that today, if you've never invited Jesus Christ into your life, that you will be like Thomas and you'll fall on your face and say, my Lord and my God, save me from this place called hell. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe in his name. Father, we just thank you for this time to be together. We thank you for your truth. And God, I just pray for those who are listening to these words that have found no comfort in anything was said and they understand that they are not in Christ. They understand that if they died today, they wouldn't have a clue what was going on other than the fact that I just told them through your word that they would be separated from you for eternity. God, I just pray that anyone who's here has never made that decision that they do so now by praying a simple prayer. God, forgive me for I've sinned and I've been in rebellion against you. God, I thought that I could do things myself in my own way. I've ignored you most of my life or even when I did pay attention to you, I did it on my terms and in my way. God, I just pray that right now in my heart, the best way that I know how, that I believe that Jesus Christ died for my sins and that he rose from the dead proving that he defeated and can forgive not only sin, but he defeated death. God, I want the assurance and the confidence that you speak of that when I die, that I'll be absent from my body and present with you for all of eternity. I want the assurance and confidence that I will be with those that I love who have received Jesus Christ, that are Christians that have been praying for me that want me to understand this truth that when they die and I die as I receive Jesus Christ, that we'll be together for all of eternity. God, we just thank you that it's by grace we're saved through faith and not of ourselves. It's a gift that you give us. If we would just believe you and accept you, that's not a matter of work, so none of us will ever be able to boast. God, we just thank you for your word. I just pray for those who in the quietness of their heart have received Christ today, that they'll let their friends know, a family member know, so that they can grow in their relationship with you. That it says that if we believe in our heart, it results in, in righteousness. But when we confess with our mouth, it results in salvation. God, we know Thomas believed in his heart and couldn't help but to cry out, Jesus, you are my Lord and my God. And we just thank you and praise you in his wonderful name. Amen.